Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Ali Maldro, and this is a public affair. Many of us are getting ready to spend time with loved ones this week for the holiday, and it's this time of year when you visit with the people you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe you put on your auntie hat and check in on all your Gen Zers in your life. I wanted to bring that day, that energy to today's program, so I invited a young person who I admire to chat with me. Gordon Allen is a recent East High School grad. While at East, he served as student body president. He also worked intensively with the Board of Education and was a leader on every front a young person can be a leader, including organizing his student his student body to protest things like uh, sexual assault and sexual violence, um, as well as being a leader in his school's Black Student Union. He is currently a student at Stanford. Gordon, welcome back to the Midwest. Are you keeping warm? <laughs> yeah, I had to get, you know, used to uh, Wisconsin's weather after being on the West Coast for a while. You're, you're acclimating. Um, I am so glad that we get to chat with you and get to see how you're doing. How is school treating you? How's Stanford? Um, it's treating me very well. Um, I will say I had to get used to like all of the readings and <laughs> papers that doing a certain amount of time because we're in the quarter system. So I have like 10 weeks to get things done compared to like 15 weeks in a traditional college sense. Um, but overall, I love it. I love the people. I love the environment. Um, I like it over there. Do you have like favorite classes or favorite professors or things that kind of have stood out to you as reasons why you, you like that you chose Stanford? Yeah, um, I like all of my professors that each bring something unique. Um, to me. I will say that my favorite class would be my rhetoric class where I'm writing about freedom and non-freedom and I'm focusing my research on um, um, head scars and veil events that take place in like France and Denmark and Canada and how that's inherently Islamophobic. So see this is why i wanted to have like this is like the the holiday conversation i feel like i wish i could have um because i think so often it's really hard to talk politics with family it's really hard um to feel like you can be your authentic self and be supported um and i think the holidays like as a as a member of the lgbtq community can be really hard and can actually really feel like a space of disconnection. Um, and I talked to you about this a little bit before the show, but you know, given the, the recent violence that was aimed at the LGBTQ community um, in, the, in the shooting that killed five people and injured 18, um, I'm curious, Gordon, like, what does it mean for you when you see something like that? Or how does that, that, how does that feel for you or resonate with your identity as a young person? I was, I was you know, very, um, of course, I was very sad and horrified to like see something like that. 
Um, I remember the last time an event um, that took place to that similarly was um, in Florida. And we all saw like the outcry with that. And it's just that uh, I do believe that a lot of, a lot of that uh, sort of tragedies like being perpetrated about like what's going on in the media, we see a lot of like extremists going on from the right and just a lot of things in general, like that's a lot of hatred towards the um, LGBTQ plus community. And, and you know, where there's just things in general that a lot of people are like with, you know, don't say gay bill. Um, and then people are like going out against it's the trans community in particularly. And it's just that to see these things, it's just like, how are we truly progressing as a society, you know? Um, and then it just like makes me and others feel less safe in a lot of public spaces. And, you know, I just hope like, you know, we can all just actually be a community and actually just move away from all of the hatred and actually just value like peace and love, you know? I, I do, but I think like when I think about my own family and what it means to talk to my family, and there are people with all kinds of identities in my family. I come from a multiracial, multicultural family. Um, but the older folks in my family are really struggling with, you know, what it means to accept the LGBTQ community, what it means to understand gender expression and what it means to be trans. I mean, it feels mm -hmm. like your generation is so much better about like letting people be who they are. Do you feel like at Stanford you have a, a community that celebrates the LGBTQ community? Do you feel like you're safer in California than Wisconsin because of kind of the politics of California versus Wisconsin? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first with the Stanford question, I definitely do think I've, you know, it's a lot more like people at the queer communities a lot more supported there. Uh, I definitely do feel more supported. Um, a lot of my RAs are part of the career community as well. Um, and I will say like, yes, when my generation is a lot more accepting and open. Um, and in terms of like the political climate and, you know, Wisconsin versus California, I would say I definitely do feel a lot more safe and safer and a lot more supportive in California. Um, I, you know, California is a lot more progressive with, um, you know, just queerness in general. And, you know, Madison is, I would say, it's a um, progressive city in itself. You know, our mayor is queer. Um, but I do think the overall climate for Wisconsin in general is still a lot more not so supportive of the queer community as much as it should be. Um, so, yeah, I definitely do feel like it's more safe and supported in California. Um, I think that Wisconsin definitely has a lot more to work with. And, you know, we can kind of see that a lot of people in Wisconsin still value um, conservative values, as we can say, like with the recent Senate election, too. So. Oh, I appreciate you you speaking to kind of the, the recent Senate election. I'm like, do you still vote in Wisconsin or are you voting in California now? Um, so like absentee ballot and, you know, so yeah, still Wisconsin. 
Still Wisconsin. I um I love you for that, Gordon. Thank you for vo- for voting at home. How was your trip back home? How was travel? There's all this news right now about how travel is finally returning to what it was before the pandemic. Um, you know, millions of Americans are making their way home. How was it to to get home for for the holiday, or are you home for the holiday? Yes, I'm home for the holiday. Um... So I had, um, had a flight Friday and it got delayed three times. And because of that, I missed my connecting flight uh, from, uh, so like I flew from San Francisco to Dallas and then my connecting flight was from Dallas to Madison. So I missed the connecting flight. Uh, so I had to stay in it like overnight at the airport cause I couldn't get a, that was going to pay for a hotel, but um, you cannot check into the hotel if you're under 21. So I had to stay, stay in a hotel for, for a very long time. Um, and then, like, I was able to get um, on an early flight. Uh, my standby was called up. So I busted. I flew into O'Hare. That's, you know, the Madison one, I went ahead to wait a couple more hours. And then I just took the bus to Madison. So, yeah, I made it home Sunday. Uh, like Sunday oh my night. Gosh. <laughs> so yeah. And on oh. top of that, I was still recovering from food poisoning. So <laughs> Oh, not recovering from food poisoning in an airport. That definitely sounds like, you know, that's a nice surviving your freshman year of college kind of, you know, kind of kind of story. Um, I'm glad you made it home. I'm glad you're getting a little bit better. You said before we jumped on the air that you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the house at just passed the um, Right to Marriage Act, or I'm sorry, I'm not thinking of the, the name correctly, but you wanted to talk about marriage equality and what it meant to preserve marriage equality. Um, through through our government recently, how does how does that impact you or land with you? We saw the overturning of Roe v. Wade this past summer, which I think uh, uniquely impacts your generation and young people right now. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, I think in some ways a response to that, which is to to really ensure that same sex marriage um, is here to stay. What what are what are your feelings uh, around that, Gordon? And and is it important to you? Is it something young people are talking about? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, with the Respect for Marriage Act, um, the Senate is in, is you know advancing it. So it's like like one step closer to being like codified into like federal law. Um, I do. I am very, I would have to say, like, you know, seeing this thing being, seeing this law being, like, advancing things, it's the bill being advancing things, it just, like, it does bring, like, a sense of security, you know, to my heart and everything, but it's just that, um, you know, in regards to, like, the Roe v. Wade, you know, we also had an opportunity to, like, you know, codify abortion rights into federal law. And, you know, that didn't turn out, you know, fruitful, you know. Uh, but with this Respect for Marriage Act, I am glad, you know, that was one proposed and introduced into the House in the first place. And I am glad that the Senate has, you know, you know, 
is working towards advancing it. Because as you know, obviously what happened in Colorado, and as we see with all these mini villages that's happening like in a lot of states in the South, um, it is even some in the Midwest that there is an attack, not only on women, but also those of the career community. And I do think with this Respect for Marriage Act, even though it's for both respect for interracial marriage and uh, same-sex marriage, um, but I do think like this would ensure that if the Supreme Court, you know, were to try to do anything that like limits the rights of those who want to, uh, you know, those those who want to like get into like same-sex marriage or at all, like their rights will be protected. And, you know, as someone who's part of that community, I just, I feel, you know, supported and I feel that like, you know, I would still be able to get married, you know, in the future, you know? Um, I just be, I feel even more secure when it's actually in federal law. Uh, but I'm glad we are advancing it. Um, you know, I think that's just one of the steps that we're taking to ensure um, equality for those of the career community. Oh, I I think like it is, it was, it was kind of amazing to me in 2014 when marriage equality passed originally, how many of my students at the time started talking about their future really differently and started talking about like having never really been able to imagine themselves getting married before um, and what, what that meant and what that shifted for, for their futures. Um, I, I'm curious, Gordon, like as you, you know, as you think about how to be your authentic self and how to kind of become the the person that you want to be, you have some really like expansive goals from yourself for yourself and you're a really young person. Um, you had like a high school sweetheart. Are you all still together? Are you guys dating long distance or have you decided like to, you know, to be single freshman year? Yeah, um, you know, we decided to like, yeah, be single freshman year. So, I mean, it was, we ended on the right terms. Uh, we just all agreed that, you know, it was best to like, um, explore the rest of our lives more independently. That seems like a really like mature and, and beautiful thing to, to let yourself do. And I think like, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about like marriage and the security that you feel, whether or not that's something you're interested in right now, knowing that that's an option for you um, as you get older. How how are the holidays with your family? Like as somebody who is deeply po political and incredibly progressive, what does it look like for you to have these conversations around the holidays? Or are you similar to my family and you just try to kind of avoid the the landmines of where people might not agree? Um, so yeah, I'm a very political person. Like my family is not this political or, or at least politically open. Um, I definitely do agree I'm the more, more of the progressive type in my family. Um, so we don't, we might like briefly touch on these things, but if I bring up like, you know, Democrats losing the house or anything like that, I would like, oh, they did, <laughs> you know, it just like, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, we don't really talk about it as much. I would love to, you know, but, um, we just don't. So 
I, yeah, I'm like, I think there's, I would say, I'm like, I think there's the the good part about that and the hard part about that, especially because when politics are so connected to your identity and, and in order to be mm-hmm. your authentic self, um, you, you have to be political because you're, you're fighting for the right, the right to exist as who you are and the rights of, of your friends and family to, you know, make decisions around their own bodies and their own health. If you're just joining us, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Ali Muldrow, and today we're chatting with recent East alum, current Stanford freshman, Gordon Allen. If you'd like to join the conversation and talk to us about what you're planning for the holidays or how you plan to check on or check in with the young people in your life, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension nine. Um, Gordon, I am I'm curious about your reaction to kind of what's going on on Twitter. Um, so first of all, are you, are you a Twitter user? Yes. Um, how do you feel about kind of the recent shifts in the platform and, you know, what, what that means to engage on, on that platform politically? Um, I just say, uh, with, you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter and we're staying yes. Trump. Um, so <laughs> I don't know why we will allow billionaires to completely control a social media app. <laughs> um, so that was one thing with me. Um, I gotta say, it's kind of scary, you know, because now Twitter's private. It's not, it doesn't adhere to like public company, uh, regulations and anything. Um, and it's a widely used social media platform. I do know like AOC mentioned like how some things with her Twitter account was starting to like glitch and things. And we all know how that can be controlled from the back end. Then I know all these employees are being laid off. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like, wow, what is this all coming to? And we just allowed this to happen, you know? And then, you know, with Trump account, um, you know, in the process being reinstated, that just like, like, you know, that just another another thing that we have to worry about too, especially, you know, he, he's, you know, with his reelection and stuff coming up. And, you know, he was removed from the platform, you know, due to like, you know, what happened during the extraction and everything. And it just like, like I said before, like, we're not, we're not actually progressing as we should be, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I'm very worried about what Twitter's going to become and what's going to come from, like, with all these things that's like coming back to light. Yeah, I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting time to be a young person. Um, <laughs> yeah. To have, you know, I feel like when I was the first presidential election I participated in was Barack Obama. Um, and so I think for for somebody your age to have such a, a tremendous part of your kind of political discourse really shaped around, you know, the kind of either the new whether or not we're kind of choosing whether or not we're going to have the new confederacy or a, a multiracial democracy um and i i wonder like if you if young people really feel the pressure of that like do you feel like hey if i don't do something or don't work on this campaign or don't get involved or don't advocate or um you know that our our rights are really you know could could 
we could lose, you know, a lot of our freedoms. We could lose a lot of our ability to exist authentic, authentically, um, if we if we don't stay pretty vigilant about, you know, who we're electing and how we're paying atten- attention to politics. What is it like for you? What was it like for you to go to high school while Donald Trump was in office? And what is it like for you now to see, you know, a leader who was impeached twice um, starting his reelection campaign and back on Twitter? Um, so, you know, when Trump was president uh, during my high school career, we were just that a lot of it was like filled with like uh, just like anxiety, you know. Um, mm. You know, you nobody actually had to worry about you know rights for those, you know, your rights as a person of color, your rights as someone from a low income community, your rights. Or if you're identified as a woman, you're accessible, you know, for for being a a woman, and then you have to, you know, rights for being queer. It's like there's like so many things, like so many parts of identity that I know that I might not have myself or people those around me who identify with. Like they were all that threat, all that threat, you know. And it just that even I, you know, I take for the sake for like national security too, you know, that was also a big thing. And there were just so many things on top of things that we like had to deal with under the under the Trump administration, right? And just that we saw like how it affected us, not only like culturally, but just as the nation itself and how it affected those around us too. Uh, Cause you know, his, you know, his policies, you know, went beyond our borders. And, and I, you know, it's just that to see that, you know, people are still wanting him to be reelected and how he got away with being impeached twice. And even like with his investigation, Mar-a-Lago, like with the classified documents and even what he said when he was running the first time about women, too. And it just like, a lot of this just seemed like... <laughs> I want to say it seemed ignored or just pushed under, you know? Of course, we're, like, we're right here talking about it, right? But I think a lot of his supporters are just, like, out of ignoring the fact or, like, or I don't know what is going on. But it just, yeah, I mean, it just, like, wow. To me, just another, it, he just comes from a great position of inherent privilege in his shows, you know? Oh, I'm so glad you brought up that this is uh, this is also a conversation about about privilege. And I appreciate, you know, when you talked about Elon Musk, you talked about like, what is the role of billionaires in our society and how much control should billionaires have? Donald Trump was our first billionaire president um, and he's one of the most litigated people in history. Um, And in some ways, he's kind of an example of not, you know, I think for a long time, Americans have subscribed to the idea that poor people are the problem, that poor people commit more crime, that poor people um, aren't, you know, taking care of their kids as well. And we haven't realized that when we have this bias against people who live in poverty, we're also saying that people who are wealthy are more trustworthy, that people who are wealthy are better parents. Um, And so I think Donald Trump has benefited greatly from 
not our bias against uh, the people who live in poverty, but what that bias against people who live in poverty does to promote the the people who are wealthy as, you know, hardworking leaders who are, you know, morally superior to everybody else. Um, and I think Donald Trump <clears throat> is able to, you know, position himself to be seen as somebody who should be respected for his success. Um, but you you spoke to kind of that his success was predetermined by the family that he was born into and calling it, you know, his his inherited privilege. Do you think uh, that that the the nation's appetite as your generation starts voting and comes of age and has more political influence? Um, do you think that candidates like Donald Trump um, won't be able to to be elected in 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 this current kind of reality, given who who is now at the table and voting for the first time? I, I would say no. Um, I think with my generation, they're not going to allow someone like him to uh, take office. Um, I would say even before, you know, Donald Trump has never won a popular vote. So I think that also speaks to it too. Um, unfortunately, popular vote does not determine um, who is our president, you know, it's our dual electoral college system. So I would say like America, like majority of Americans do, do, do not want Trump in office, right? Or at least did not vote for him for the past two elections. Uh, and I say for my generation, when I see like, you know, even on social media or like in conversations, there's a strong desire to not have Trump in office. <laughs> so um, I would say like, because because of that, I do feel like a lot more people in my generation are going out of canvassing. Because um, I do know, um, or just working towards like putting more people in office. Like even if we do get someone who's more the more moderate conservative side, we still have people and other parts of government who can still support progressive policies. You know, that's like, you know, for me personally, you know, even back in California, I was still uh, phone banking for for Medela Barnes. You know, because I felt like not only was that a very, you know, important um, election. That's also it's, it's also that like. As someone from my generation, I know how important it is to feel, you know, heard, considering, respected, value, and to, like you said, it's like fighting for our, you know, existence and law, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's just that we all hear these things, we're trying our best to, like, make sure it's supported, even if it's very locally, you know, because sometimes it just starts from that point, you know? How, what was it like for you in California? I'm like, it's amazing to think that you're, you know, balancing your your academic demands, which I'm sure are, you know, reasonably intense at Stanford your freshman year. Um, you're far away from home and your community and your support system. Um, and you're still working on the the political campaigns in Wisconsin. What was it like for you to see Mandela Barnes lose after after you 
you know, volunteered for his campaign? And um, were you, was it easy to accept because folks had kind of predicted the red wave and it wasn't as bad as we thought we thought we would be? And what do you think it says about your home state of Wisconsin um, that the majority of the Democrats on our ballot won um, and Mandela Barnes lost to Ron Johnson? Um, I would say that, you know, I'm so proud of him, <laughs> of course, you know, uh, I think he inspired mainly and I'm sure we'll see him continue to see him in our community and politics. Um, I would, I mean, he, it wasn't like he lost like by such large margins, you know, I would say it was a fairly close election, you know. Yeah, it was the difference between one point, <laughs> but one point, 27,000 votes. You know, that yeah. determines the, the next seg- six years of, of representation. Yeah, that that's true. And it's just that when, for something to be so close like that, it all goes down to like, you know, like where people just be like, does my voice matters? I'm just one person out of just many. You know, it's, it does. I mean, because we see there, you know, that's this is a prime example, like, where every single vote counts, you know? Um, was I surprised? Um, that's a very, to me, that's a complex question because part of me was like, you know, with all talk with the red wave and I do know like how, you know, with Ron Johnson, a lot of his supporter was like, you know, Steve still deep supporters of his. And so it's like, I knew that uh, Medela has some kind of, like, I knew, I, I had hope in his campaign. It wasn't like I did not have hope that he was going to win. Like, I, I believed he was going to. That's, you know, that's why I canvassed so hard, too, you know, for him. Um, but with such sort of results, for anything, I was just more sad about, like, what this could mean for us, you know, for for the next, like you said, for the next six years and just us as a community. Um but I would have to say, like, from all the reports and things, it wasn't as much as a shock. But I just wish I didn't have, I didn't, like, we didn't have to face this reality in the first place, you know? Yeah. Do you have a theory of kind of why Wisconsin was able to elect, you know, a, a Democratic governor and split the ticket to reelect a Republican? Do you think it was about incumbency? Do you think it was about resources? Um, is is there something that you're like, oh, this is what I think would have made the difference in terms of electing the first black senator from Wisconsin? I mean, we could argue that, you know, while you're both uh, Medela and um, Medela Barnes and Tony Evers are Democrats, um, that come from very different backgrounds, you know. Um, Medela is a black man of politics. <laughs> and I think that is, that push on a completely different, like, space compared to, you know, a white man being in politics. So I, maybe that could be part of it too. Uh, and then I also would say that Ron Johnson, like a lot of his supporters, you know, came from more, conservative background and et cetera. And like you said, well, they still, a lot of them still voted for Tony Evers, right? Uh, and I think that's what I would have to say. If Heidi comes from more of a like, 
just the background and identity of each respective politician. Um, maybe I, that played a huge role in it. And like you said, comedy with C2. And also, I would just say from the beginning, uh, Ron Johnson had a lot more resources uh, and that helped him a lot in his campaign awareness. So I think it's, you know, it's the fact that research, identity, culture is a lot. Does it make you think about how you're positioned as, uh, you know, a person who navigates multiple marginalized identities and wants to run for office? Like you've said since you were in high school that you you plan to run for Congress ultimately. Um, do you do you think about the kind of strategy that someone like you needs or the ability to, to raise resources that you need um, in comparison to other candidates or candidates who have historically dominated politics? Yes, I would say, uh, I do know for sure when I uh, do run for office, it's gonna be, I mean, of course it's gonna be challenging, you know, um, especially uh, because, you know, some people like are the type of voters who just really like to like continue to reelect those who's already been in office. And I do think for my own identity, that might become more of a challenge too, depending on where I run. Uh, because, you know, some, I mean, there's still a lot of value for like the traditional family values that we like, that we always see like a lot for media from the other side, you know? Um, I do think when I run, it would have to be that, you know, I'm gonna really, I want to really prioritize like, uh, being funded like by the community you know i feel like that's such a powerful thing to like um although it is the more sometimes it can be the more challenging thing you know because you it's a lot more but i think at the end that you feel more and you know connected to your community your community feels more responsible for your campaign you know and in return that could like help also like with more awareness of your campaign too it just overall security of it um, in terms of like my, more so my identity in itself, I do think that, um, there's, will be like a lot of, uh, there'll be like a lot of factors that that's going to play against it. And that is something that, unfortunately, that I would just have to navigate through, you know? And, well, but what do you want to say? I was going to say, unfortunately, I think like the factors of your identity, that can be used against you politically have been used against you your entire life. Like they've been used right. against you within the context of your education. They've been used against you, you know, in in terms of that kind of healthcare you receive or, you know, a series of opportunities um, have been shaped by by your identities. And I think, you know, I think you've been able to to navigate who you are with an incredible level of of poise. And I think we would be very, very lucky to vote for you, Gordon. Um, and so it, it's you. definitely something that gives me a lot of hope or gives me something to look forward to um, that, I'll, that I'll get to vote for you one day. What are the things that, that you miss about home? Or do you, are you like, do you have moments of kind of homesickness or, or missing family? Or are you kind of like, whoa, I'm like really getting to do my own thing. Is this your first time coming home since you, since you left for Stanford this summer? 
Yes, it's my first time coming home. Um, I know for one thing, I do not miss the weather. Um, <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> you know that it, it is true. Like once you go there, you do get spoiled with the weather over there. Um, <laughs> but I do miss uh, just the feeling of community. Uh, while you, I do feel you know safe and secure there, it's just that. Uh, you know, in Madison, it's different. You know, I uh, grew up here for a good part of my of my childhood, and you know, I know so many people here, and it's just like to be back here. I was like, oh wow, I kind of do miss this feeling. You know. Yeah, no, in Madison, you're kind of a local celebrity. You've been on billboards. You've been, you know, people want to interview you, talk to you. You're you're known um, as a young person to kind of, you know, pay attention to because I think a lot of folks are really rooting for what, what comes next for you, including kind of the entire team at WORT 89.9 FM. Like the, the public affair family is all folks who are like very excited to, to get to talk to you um, and have you back in Madison for a little bit. Um, and so what's it like to be a little bit more anonymous in California or how are you kind of establishing your, your network in, in California um, while you maintain, you know, your political activism in Wisconsin? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I really do appreciate you all. <laughs> like, you know, um, that's why I like being here so much. Um, I feel so loved. Um, I would say, um, at Stepford, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of like different groups and all, a lot of more like political groups too. So I am finding community through that. And it's just that, um, the way people go about activism there is a little bit different how we do it here. Um, uh, of course, there's still like protesting the canvassing, but I don't know. I feel like here I feel more of the passion for some for some reason, you know? Um, not to say they don't have passion there. <laughs> I mean, of course they do, but it just like here I just feel, I don't know, I feel, I just feel more connected to the passion that's with in, in the Madison community. Um, um, yeah. I'm glad you named that because I think so much of what we're fighting for right now in Wisconsin um, you know, you talk you talk about kind of the legislation that's been introduced in terms of the LGBTQ community over the last few years. Um, and the, the Republicans in our legislature have become really pretty obsessed, in my opinion, with attacking LGBTQ youth, particularly trans youth. Um, and I, I, you know, legislation like that doesn't get introduced in California. You don't see that that same um, that same wave or trend. Of, of attacking, you know, um, the LGBTQ community. It's not, it's not quite as, um, it's not as trendy there as it is here. I, I'm curious, you know, if there, if there are things that you hope to kind of bring back to Wisconsin from California, are there things you're learning about how California has been able to establish, you know, a culture that um, is a little bit more progressive, is a little bit more pro-immigration, is a little bit friendlier to folks of color. Um, you know, are you looking to kind of how California has created its political climate 
and hoping that you can use some of that to inspire the folks in Wisconsin to believe in the rights of all people. Um, that's a that's a very um, good question. Uh, <laughs> I would say. I would say for California, it's just that there's a lot more diversity and spaces than there is in Wisconsin. Um, like I would say, you know, you're the Madison Milwaukee, you may find a lot more spaces to have like people from like, diverse backgrounds in it. Um, like, you know, so like, you know, at East too, that just, that's also like, it was like a very diverse you know, place to be. Um, and at the same, like, you know, in Stanford, there's a lot of diversity around. Uh, I would just say, like, it just, I think in California, it's because, like, there's so many sp spaces where not only is diversity a priority, but it's just more accessible. Because I would have to say, like, you know, it sometimes can feel like in Wisconsin that, you know, some spaces are being um, more inclusionary to those from diverse backgrounds, you know, and that returns towards, you know, people ignorant to the people who are part of those backgrounds that I do not see or interact with on a, a freaking basis. Um, it is like, I just say it's like just what's your like around a lot and like just being open to be around different kinds of like uh cultures and identities too yeah so really like the the diversity of california and the size of california the population being so different it is hard to compare to to wisconsin um yeah. And then you think about, you know, we had a caller who recently, and I've wanted to talk about this with with another black person, Gordon. So I'm kind of glad the the caller called and said, you know, the difference between Barnes and Evers comes down to racism. And so Willie, thanks for calling and and saying that. And I I don't think it's that I disagree with that. But one of the things I've really struggled with in my analysis of Barnes's campaign is whether or not it's helpful to say oh, the people who are against me are racist. Because in some ways, I'm like, you still need those people to show up and vote for you. And so do you alienate folks who, you know, I mean, I've been around for a while, Gordon, like a little longer than you, and nobody identifies as as racist, right? That's not how people think of themselves. And being called racist um, is something that people usually don't have a lot of uh, a lot of tolerance or patience for. And so when folks started to name, hey, the attack ads on Barnes were racist, um, I thought back to Obama's campaign. And obviously, Obama encountered an incredible amount of racism, right? Like the whole Trump presidency comes from the idea that Trump, you know, thought Obama wasn't born in the United States. Um, uh, so I, I, I guess I wonder... If it is racism that is is a factor, how do you navigate that factor in a way that 
you know, actually benefits people of color. I think people get really excited to name something as racist, as racist um, but I don't know if that's necessarily helping. So Gordon, how do you, how do you weigh in on, on the conversation about how do we address racism? How do we talk about racism? And how do we do it in a way that promotes the results that we actually want versus, um, you know, acknowledge a phenomena that is, is part of how, how we, you know, who we are as a country. Um, I would say that. Oh, <laughs> I do think like. Um, I think it just comes from a matter of like understanding um, like voters more so on a fundamental level than what we perceive them to be. Um, because like you said, that does not mean they're racist. I mean, I mean, we don't really know why someone might go from other candidate to other, you know, or, or like why, um, like the true intent behind like certain like attack acts and et cetera, you know? Um, and also, I mean, just saying that, oh, someone didn't get this position or they're being held to this thing it's racist or stuff like that. I mean, that's also like, you gotta understand like, why do you think that way too, you know? Um, mm. So yeah, like, like I do think like there's just a lot of things that we both need to acknowledge from both sides, you know? Yeah, I think like it's interesting to have this conversation with folks who don't identify as black. Um, I, I think I think that there's so much more satisfaction in calling something racist when you're not a black person. Um, I think, you know, like yeah. racism is a given, like it was always going to be a factor and it's the ability to, to navigate racism um, that is, you know, that's really, that's really being tested in, in this race. Um, but I do, I wonder about the strategy of saying, you know, Wisconsin's racist and, and that's why candidates of color are always going to struggle to, to be successful in this, in this state. And I, you know, I think that there, there are other factors about that. And I will say, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in conversations about politics is that we think politics is about the politician. Um, and I think that if we have conversations about what people feel like they're getting out of their government, what people want from their government, what people need from their government, um, we can decentralize kind of the identity of anybody who's running um, and talk about what it means to serve. Gordon, you are a, a really service-oriented person. You are incredibly generous with your time. You are incredibly generous with your resources. Um, you are, are a person who shows up for folks who have your identity and folks who do not share your identity. Why do you feel called to serve? Why, why are you passionate about you know, making communities better and, and investing um, in Wisconsin, even when you're all the way in California studying at Stanford? Um, I would just say that I kind of always kind of be, been like this uh, growing up, like feeling the need to like speak up or just be empathetic to our people situations. Um, I would say coming from the community that came from in Chicago, I realized how important it is to stand up for your community, stand up for people who who just need their voices amplified, you know? And 
I just don't feel comfortable just seeing my community struggle or seeing my community go through this when I know there's something I can do to uplift it or support it in some way. That is how I am as a person. So <laughs> I I just feel like incredibly proud to to know you and to and I can say like you as a young person um, you know, you, you like watching how hard you work to make Madison better was incredibly inspiring to me as, as a board member and me as a member of this uh, community. And I, I think so many of us who have gotten to know you feel so lucky um, to get to know you and get to watch what you, what you do next. Do you ever feel like you're missing out on kind of the carefree part of college um, because you care so much, because you are so involved and so aware? Um, no, because there's been times like when I just meet my friends, we just have, you know, have fun and just have a relaxed day. So I do make time for like self-care and just enjoy the other parts of college that's not so productive. <laughs> so do you like, are you out? Like, do you like, are you out in kind of a party scene? Are you like thinking about joining a fraternity? Like, what are the things that you're doing that are like, these are, this is my way of just being young. Um, yeah, I, there's been like a couple of like events and, you know, formal parties that I've been to. Um, I don't see myself ever joining a frat. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I go out and have fun. I want to, I want to understand why frats aren't for you, Gordon, before we jump off. What's, what's, why are you not, why are you not the frat kind of guy? <laughs> They're not the best when it comes to like, um, inclusion. So, so yeah, also the frats at Stanford, there's something else. Uh, but yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> okay. I'm like, we can lean into that conversation. Welcome home, Gordon, and thank you so much for joining us today on WORT. Before we wrap up this conversation, let us know, like, what are you looking forward to for the holidays? Um, what are what are your what are your hopes for for the time that you're spending in Madison? What are you doing for the next couple days? Yeah, I'm just you know spending more time with my family. I'm happy to be here with them and you know just see some more people in Madison. So. Happy to be back for a while. I am so grateful that I got to spend this hour with you while you're in Madison. Thanks for making a little bit of time for all of us here at WORT. Huge shout out to our engineer today, Ben, our producer, Jade, who rolled with the punches, y'all, because I had like a little bit of a, a sick kid issue. So I'm, I'm in from home. Um, huge shout out to our news director, Shali Pittman, who very much was like, we've got to get Gordon on the air if he's coming home for the holidays. Um, well, well done, Shali. Uh, Gordon, I, I wish you very happy and safe travels on your way back to school. Uh, thank you again for joining us today on WORT. Uh, FM Madison. This is a public affair. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it.